Blog Talk Radio. show today is stop or I will shoot. You know, these are certainly uncertain times, blurred lines of any recognized authority. We're a society of multicultural ethnicities living together within boundaries of cities and neighborhoods and individual homes. And there just has to be some kind of recognized authorities within a society. Who are these authorities? today. <clears throat> well, the first recognized authority has always been the home. And in the home, uh, there is supposed to be a mother and a father. And before any other person, a family member or the school or the government can step in and make any assessments or decisions regarding any child, The mother and the father of that child are the child's ruling authorities. These two people set up the rules and regulations for their own home. And any children who are born into this home are required to follow those rules and regulations. These rules and regulations are taught to the children by the parents, and they are enforced by the parents. And parents decide how they will enforce their own rules. You know, my third child was born with a very delicate constitution. She has an irregular heart uh, beat, and and she's always required uh, more than ordinary rest and uh, good good healthy food. And if she gets her rest and she eats right, then she's strong enough to do pretty much whatever she wants to do. But there were times, you know, when she was growing up, when I would just keep her home from school because she needed to rest. If she was taking a growth spurt, you know, kids go along for a while, and then all of a sudden they grow. And when she would do that, I would keep her home from school. Now, she was very smart, and she was always ahead of everybody anyway. So missing a few days of school was not going to cause her any problems. Well, the first time I did this, I sent her back to school with a note. Margie was home from school these three days with her mother's permission. Well, the principal called me and said this was not a legitimate excuse that I needed to provide a doctor's report. And I said, well, you know what? I am her mother, and I say that she has my permission to stay home. 
And the principal said, okay, but it would be an unexcused absence. And I said, okay, whatever. But she's going to have these days of rest as I see fit. I do not need a doctor to tell me when she needs it and when she doesn't. I am her mother, and I know. Well, I never heard anything back more from the school, even though they threatened to not pass her if she didn't go the required number of days. So I was careful to make sure that she did go the required number of days. And you know what? Still today, she needs plenty of rest. She has to have at least 10 hours of sleep a night, and even more is better. She does better with 12 You know, to the extent that the city and the county and the state, not to mention the federal government, have had to intervene in the situations in our homes today shows the extent of the breakdown and the failure of the family home. I mean, having a child should not be a woman's means of support. Having a child should not be the result of some riotous sexual encounter between two strangers. A child should be the most desired and cherished event that can happen between two people who love each other and who have established a safe and protective environment in which to bring forth this child that they've planned for, and they have plans for the child's future. These plans should include providing for the child's public education, at least through high school, and with encourage and dedication through college. And these plans include a set of rules and regulations that the child's required to follow that are based on ethics and integrity, honesty, responsibility, consequences of actions, and education in order for that child to be emancipated from the home as an independent and self-sufficient adult who can make a contribution to our society. In my generation, there was a prevailing movement that if you spared the rod, you spoiled the child. So my sister and my two brothers and I were spanked. We broke the rules. Our mother made us go out and get a switch (laughs) and bring it to her, and then she switched us with it. And many times I went to school with long red welts from the switch visible on my body, on my arms, or on my legs. And one time my stepfather lost his temper, and he bounced me all over the kitchen, blasting my head up against the doorway and opening up a gash that required uh, six stitches. And the story the doctor got was that I had I fell down. In those days, there were no child protective services because the home was recognized as a bastion of independence where no outside authority had any power. And even though we know that all kinds of evil lurked within the shadows of some of those homes, you know, child molesting, sodomy, other tortures, just like it does today, and the child is, but the child, you know, is at the mercy of the parents. But if the parents have planned to have this child, and they're loving and kind, then the child grows up within boundaries that are set for its highest and best good. And the child prospers and grows in stature and emotional and physical health 
being encouraged to achieve and be the best that it can be. You know, even children from the less than to be desired homes have been able to become adults and become contributing members of society. They've overcome their disadvantages and eventually set their own standards for their own life. But in my day, there was less divorce, so children did have a mother and a father. And in those days, also, disabled and crazy people were sequestered out of the society in structured places that were sometimes supported privately and sometimes paid for by the state. Every place wasn't required to have handicapped parking spaces and handicapped bathrooms in those days. (laughs) And in those days, most welfare came from the churches. But free public education, kindergarten through 12, has always been supported by property taxes, just as it is today. And in those days, people graduated from high school. Do you know in my home, where I grew up, there never was any other option. You went to grade school and then to high school, and you stayed in high school till you graduated. There never was ever any other idea. And in our home, we were told that we would need to earn a scholarship to go to college, so I worked really hard and got a scholarship for my first year of college at Indiana University. It was granted to me uh, by a privately funded group that sponsored hardworking students from below middle-class families. And if a male child had academic difficulties in my day, they were encouraged to go to a trade school and learn how to be an electrician or a plumber or a carpenter or an auto mechanic or a bartender. Or within an apprentice program, they could learn how to paint, put on a roof, do landscaping. Many went to the farms. And non-academic girls were encouraged to learn to sew and cook and clean, and they were taught child care because all avenues of education are to prepare the child to eventually be emancipated from the home of their parents and move into the boundaries of society with a skill (laughs) in order to be self-sufficient and independent, able to take care of themselves. This should be the focus of our society today. But a child needs to be guided into this way of thinking with rules and regulations that are enforced by their parents. So what has happened in the last 50 years? Well, today with the advent of national social welfare programs like aid to dependent children, um, which can allow a woman to have as many children as she wants and get paid to do it. So many black women just make their living by having children. I mean, 72% of black children are being raised today by a single parent, their mother. And many times they don't even know who their dad is. And the mother's opportunities for earning a living are certainly limited. So the household is lacking in many basic essentials. And most of these mothers never graduated from high school themselves. So setting a rule that a child must graduate from high school and enforcing it is kind of hard to do, you know, because kids, monkey see, monkey do. And do what I tell you, not what I do, is just a very weak position of authority. 
But according to a report from the Schott Foundation for Public Education, uh, they have put out a report, Black Lives Matter. And this report says, our data indicates that once again in the 48 states where data was collected, in 35 states and the District of Columbia, black males remain at the bottom of the four-year high school graduation rate. Positioning young people to secure a high school diploma, which prepares them for post-secondary training and education, creates a clear pathway out of poverty. Indeed, Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times says education is the escalator out of poverty, thus creating state and local ecosystems that provide healthy living and learning communities with the necessary supports to provide all students an opportunity to learn, including black males, is essential. Well, this, let's look at this report. Local ecosystems. <laughs> That's just kind of a fancy terminology that means the home. So we need local ecosystems <laughs> that can provide a healthy living and learning community. So in, in my understanding of that, that means a home that has a mother and a father who is nurturing setting the rules and regulations, and living as good examples to the children. And the necessary supports, well, support means enforcement of the rules and regulations to provide all students an opportunity to learn. You know, the opportunity is already available. It's the opportunity of all people in the United States. We have a free public education system already and every child can go to high school free and graduate with a high school diploma there's no elitist group here there's no prejudice or racial profiling or white supremacy here (laughs) if anything it's asian supremacy (laughs) asian students consistently do better than all other students because The Asian culture is a culture of a mother and a father creating a home together that sets a very high bar for their kids. Their kids have to get A's. Their kids have to be the best. And, you know, the Asian culture has very little crime. The city of Irvine, California is the safest city in the United States. It's 45% white and 39% Asian, and 97% of these people have graduated from high school, and 67% have graduated from college. And the Asian culture rarely, if ever, uses public welfare. They are independent and self-sufficient. So all... Children can go to school in this country free of charge and get a high school diploma, which is the foundation of being able to get a job. My teacher, teach, uh, my uh, daughter, uh, teaches high school in Texas in a large high school uh, that is 75% black, 28% Mexican, and 2% Asian. 
She says it's not the school system that needs improving or anything else added to it. She says all of the programs they offer at her school are wonderful. She says there's just no parental cooperation. On parent-teacher consultation time, she just sits at her desk and only sees the 2% Asian parents. No black parents ever show up, and only about 10% of the Mexican parents show up, and that's mostly because the Mexican parents don't speak English. She never gets any responses from messages sent to black kid parents, and she says the black kids are disruptive, rebellious, and could care less about learning anything. So what is the black child who lives in a local ecosystem in Texas being taught at home? What are the rules and regulations that the mother of the, and the father of that child have set up in their local home? What are the healthy living conditions of that home? What does that mother do to provide the necessary support to her child to encourage him and to help him want to learn and want to be able to know how to do something that's going to allow him to earn a living someday and be a helpful and productive member of our society? And not be 25 years old and be a seller and user of drugs on the streets like Freddie Gray. Do you know Freddie Gray had an active criminal record dating back to 2008 as a young teenager on the streets of Baltimore? I would like to know if Freddie Gray graduated from high school. I would like to know if Freddie Gray has ever had a real job. I would like to know what his mother taught him about life. What type of local ecosystem did he come from? What rules and regulations were set up in his home that taught him it would be to his advantage to be a street drug dealer? Only 56% of Baltimore black male students graduate from high school. Even though the Department of Education's thesis for the state of Maryland says, High school graduation rates are one of the most important measures of an overall effectiveness of our school system. Nearly all current school reform efforts are aimed at successfully moving students through the K-12 through pipeline, which culminates with the receipt of a high school diploma. High school diplomas are important because the possession of one is usually the minimum level of education required for most jobs. And I would add, you know, to go into the military. You can't get into the military if you haven't graduated from high school. So if a child is raised in an environment of no rules and regulations, no standards or boundaries, then that child just doesn't know the meaning of stop. Now, if someone tells you to stop doing something, do you stop? Well, during the riots in Baltimore, I happened to have several different experiences regarding this situation of people being told to stop doing something, and they don't. And the first situation is my own. Because for the past 25 years, I have had a person in my life who I have told over and over over and over to stop contacting me. Stop 
trying to get in touch with me. Stop! I've gotten restraining orders from time to time. That does cause this person to stop doing stuff for a while, but sooner or later, it starts up again, and there it is. An absolute lawlessness within this person that is unrestrained, unrelentless in his pursuit of domination and control, which he considers his right to his personal expression, regardless of what others say or do. And the second situation is a person I know who is in the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary with me. I'm in the Auxiliary for the Coast Guard, and I, uh, I do the, I'm on the radio for the Coast Guard at Station Gracie in Oceanside, California. <clears throat> and I belong to a local ecosystem <laughs> called a flotilla that has rules and regulations and boundaries within the structure of the military and the Department of Homeland Security. Now, when I first joined the Coast Guard Auxiliary, it was really difficult at first for me to fulfill all of the various protocols. It was extremely difficult for me to wear a, wear the uniform because I had not worn short sleeves and a blouse or been able to define my waist with a belt for over 20 years. <laughs> and at first I thought, oh, I'm just not going to do this. But then I found out if I didn't wear wear my uniform, I also couldn't participate in programs for the Coast Guard. So at that point, what is the point? So I do wear my uniform. And also, I have long hair. But when I'm in uniform, I have to wear it in a bun. As long hair is not allowed. The hair cannot be longer than chin length. These are rules and regulations. And the authority that enforces them is the U.S. Coast Guard. There are manuals and manuals and manuals of rules and regulations regarding everything from sexual harassment to proper types of gifts and protocols for running the meetings and reporting miscontacts. But this person I have met in the auxiliary continually just does what she wants to do, regardless of what the regulations say. And she's constantly being reprimanded by the commander of the flotilla. And now she's on a vendetta to try to go up the chain of command to report him as abusive and violating her civil rights. When you know what? He's just doing his job as commander, according to the rules and regulations of the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary. At this point, he has asked her to transfer to another flotilla because he no longer wishes to be bothered by this whole thing. She's a totally lawless, unrestrained, and unregulated person. Now she's going to try to make trouble for him in his role as commander. And in her personal life, she's not been able to hold a job very long because of this lawless and unrestrained attitude, even though she has an education which includes advanced degrees. She's able to not be a burden on society because she inherited some property. 
And a third situation is a friend of mine who broke up with her boyfriend, and he still calls and texts her and wants to get back together and make popcorn and watch a movie. And she's told him, told him and told him to stop calling her. She's told him to stop texting her. She's told him and told him that she is no longer interested in seeing him or being with him, even if it's just to have popcorn and watch a movie. They were high school sweethearts, but then she went on to marry someone else. And she was married for over 40 years and had three children. Now, he never married. But then when her husband died, he called her. And they reignited their high school romance for a time, but things just didn't work out. And she now says, stop. But he doesn't. I talked to them the other day. I said, Tony, don't you know what stop means? And he says, oh, I just worry about her, you know. I'm just concerned. I just want to make sure she's okay. I said, she does not want that. Stop. The situation is a mother of a daughter who's been in trouble all her life. But the mother has actually been an enabler. She She's just continued and continued to bail her out and make it so she doesn't suffer any consequences. She makes excuses for her, and she tries to help her stop doing what she's doing, but the daughter doesn't stop. The daughter just continues the same destructive patterns. The daughter keeps all of the dramas going And she doesn't do anything the counselor says. She doesn't do anything the doctor says. She doesn't do anything anybody tells her to do. She's totally lawless and unrestrained personality. So I was at a support group the other night, and this mother stood up and declared, I am done. I am stopping all help. I am not going to be there for her anymore. Even though she's my daughter, I am finished. She is on her own now. Will she really stop? I mean, when is no going to mean no? When is stop going to mean stop? When is the lawless spirit that is running rampant within the boundaries of our society going to be restrained and regulated? I believe that the regulation must come from inside of the person. And in order for a person to have that type of self-discipline, they need to have been raised by someone who teaches it to them. And that video that went viral of that black mother beating and beating her child to try to get him to get off the streets and stop rioting, how's that the answer? What's the difference between the mother or the cops beating the kid? kid wasn't a child anyway. He was a big, strapping, 200-pound, muscular man of a teenager. So when a policeman tells a person to stop, he means stop. And if the person doesn't stop and the policeman draws his gun and says stop, what he is saying is stop or I will shoot. And that policeman has 
every right within the scope of his authority to do just that. What if you're a policeman and you encounter a crime in progress and you order the person to stop and get down on the ground and put his hands over his head and spread his legs and the person doesn't do it? So the policeman draws his weapon and says, stop! And they don't say today, or I will shoot, but that's what they used to say, and I think that's what they need to start saying today. Stop, or I will shoot! And if if you're a policeman, and your job's stop crime, and you're in the process of doing your job, and you say stop, and the person doesn't stop, What are you going to do? What do you think the policeman should do? I'm out of my time right now, and I'm going to go ahead and finish this up so the rest of it will be in the archives. And I wanted you to know I'm going to start doing my show once a week again. I'll be on next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific uh, Daylight Time where I will discuss the loss of male dominance. And tonight I'm going to just leave it up to all of you who are listening because it starts with each one of us. Within the soul of every single person is either the spirit of lawlessness, which is what the Bible calls Satan, or there is the Holy Spirit of God. And since there's only one power, then that power of self is either expressing in lawlessness or love, unrelenting irreverence or holiness, wanting the highest and best good for everybody or not giving a hoot about anything. And I'm going to leave you with this question. Who's going to show love to those new little souls who are now coming to planet Earth? for its experience, who's going to teach those little souls holiness? This is Marcianne. I'll see you next week.